Storm Bowling Products, the bowler's company, presents the Collegiate Spotlight with Coach K. Storm's technical director, Steve Klimkin, also known as Coach K, and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce you to a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us today on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight is Scott Norton. Scott bowled collegiately at Cal State Fullerton and the University of Utah. Scott has three PBA titles and in 2009 was the PBA West Region Rookie of the Year. Scott, Tim Berg here. Thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Well, Scott, it's uh, called the Storm Collegiate Spotlight. Steve Klempkin is on super special secret assignment with Storm, so you just have the pleasure of uh, having me with you today. But um, we will begin with your collegiate bowling career. You bowled at Cal State Fullerton. You were an All-American, and you also bowled at the University of Utah. So talk about some memorable experiences that you have in collegiate bowling. Man, that was a, that was a minute or two ago. Um, but... But there were it was it was such a great experience bowling for college and it's it's unlike anything else you get to experience out on tour. But the PBA league is kind of close to the same thing, but it's not quite the same thing because when you're bowling for college, you're in the same room with all of the guys. You're I mean you're basically like a family and you travel around together, you do everything together, and it's an experience like none other. And <laughs> I, I there are a couple really great experiences that we had together. One of them was we were in Atlanta for a tournament, and we were at a Waffle House and got lost trying to get back to the hotel and ended up, we went, we left the Waffle House three different directions and ended up coming back around to the same Waffle House three times. And uh, so after about an hour and a half of being lost, because this was before smartphones just couldn't, you know, you could pull up on your GPS Yes, it was back in the in the nether days. And of um, course, guys don't ask for directions, so you just keep, dri- keep driving just around. Keep driving around <laughs> in circles for an hour and a half. It was just such a great experience to be able to bowl for college, and I'm I'm pretty envious of all the guys that get to do it now because it, it was it was just it really was like a family experience. Well, and I, I recently talked to Graham Fall, and he mentioned the same thing where when you're bowling out on PBA tour, you're letting yourself down if you if you have a bad tournament or bad block. Where if you're bowling in college. You know, you feel like you're letting your whole team down. And then in college, with the Baker format, you even have less, less frames. So there's even more pressure. The, the more pressure of that added with the fact that you're not just letting yourself down, you're letting your team down as well. well that's, a, that's a little bit of a negative way to look at it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I tend to look at it the other way, which is that you're all in this together and that you all, you all win or lose as a team. And even if somebody makes a mistake... Um, if that's you, if you're the anchor, or if it's somebody else, like it, it's a team effort. So it, that, to me, is what the biggest difference between the PBA and college bowling is. It's just the fact that, yes, it is all you on the PBA, and it's very lonely. And uh, it's a very different experience because you're used to the camaraderie and the support of four-plus other teammates. Uh, lifting you up when you make a mistake, you lifting them up, everyone's kind of got each other's back. And now you have to go out on the PBA tour, and it, it, you have to lift yourself up. You have to get yourself over a bad break or a bad shot. It's very, very different mentally. And, Scott, what was the, the thing that you took away from bowling in college as far as lane play and how to play different patterns that has helped you out on the PBA tour? You know, I have to imagine that it's more helpful for the right-handers than it is for the left-handers just because 
there are there still isn't as much traffic on the left as there is on the right. And when you're a right-hander out on college, you learn how to play fifth arrow, sixth arrow by game two <laughs> rather quickly because there's ten on a pair most of the time. But on the left, it, it also helps shape how I deal with that out on tour because when there are ten on a pair and when they're already playing sixth arrow in game two, you know, that creates some unique uh, breakdown on the left as well because there's zero oil in the front on the left and there's still oil down lane. So uh, when I first came out on tour, that was obviously one of the things I was very good at dealing with. But I wasn't good at dealing with when the left was easy because I never had, never really had that in college. So... Well, Scott, you bring up the left versus right, two-hand versus one-hand. There's been a lot of discussions, a lot of people writing blogs about this. Can anything good come of these discussions as far as, you know, whether it should be allowed, disallowed, what should be able to be done with your hand as far as manipulating the bowling ball? Well, yes, good can come from the discussion. Uh, what, what, and I kind of touched on this when I was in the extra frame booth uh, in Columbus as well. But yes, good can come of it when there's a civil discussion and when you're exchanging ideas. What happens, what ends up happening in our community, and, and not just in bowling, but in, in a lot of different places, is that when it seems to be just kind of like the climate in the U.S. in general, that once you know someone doesn't agree with you, it devolves into all manner of name-calling. And that's when the conversation turns to crap. <laughs> it, it's... Uh, it, you can't have a civil debate when you can't accept that the other person has a valid viewpoint for one reason or another. It doesn't matter which side you land on. The other person is going to have some valid points. You're going to have some valid points. And, and as a debate, your, your job is to try to not necessarily destroy their argument, but explain why your side is very strong. And you can do that without calling names. And I think that is what has really hurt the discussion uh, about two-handed versus one-hand or right-handed versus left-handed is that, you know, it's it just if anybody disagrees, then, you know, they're a dirty traditionalist or they're a filthy two-hander or, you know, whatever whatever manner of name-calling ends up happening. And it really serves no good for the sport because it starts dividing us when, at a time when we need to be more united than ever. Well, yeah, so I guess so. As, a, as an attorney, as someone who has their law degree, is there a way to keep both, both sides happy? Because you have kind of the old guard who's saying, like you're saying, that this is what's wrong with bowling. And then you have the younger guard, the younger guys out there who say, this is the only way I know how to bowl. How can you say that's wrong? It, it was. It's not against the rules. You can go and look at any USBC PBA rule book, and it's not against the rules. So, is there a way to to keep both sides happy? Well, I think there is. Um, you can combat some of the the newer styles with um, with some different lane patterns, and 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 we used to have a plastic ball tournament. I mean, when we had that plastic ball tournament, I I don't remember. How many? I remember it was pretty good on the left. I remember that, um, but I remember it was also not super high rev rates making the show, and it, it allowed for some diversity. And the same thing when we used to put out much shorter patterns. Generally, lower rev rates make the show when you properly put out the patterns, such that 
you can't just stand left, throw right. You actually have to play outside. You have to play straighter. Um, and I think that's important to have some pattern diversity, maybe have a couple tournaments where there's some diversity in equipment types. That way everyone kind of has a chance to sh- to shine. So we're talking about things, and you're one of the PBA player reps. So let's talk about the PBA from your perspective and from the player's perspective as far as just kind of the overall state of the PBA. We just finished up, you know, kind of this, uh, this great month of February here with all these live events. People always say, we want live bowling, we want live bowling. Saw some great TV numbers by doing that. So talk about your perspective here and the, the other, what you're hearing from the other players as a player rep. Well, I definitely hear some, some things from the players about um, lane patterns, we have been talking about how we're sick of bowling on 39 feet all the time, and then we bowled on 47 feet at uh, Columbus for the Players' Championship, or maybe it was 46 feet, I can't remember. And uh, I think it was actually 46 feet. And, and then they complained about that being too high scoring. So definitely a lot of the players um, just, you know, there's always going to be someone unhappy with what's going on. I think that the the fact that they put out a pattern that was not 39 or 40 feet for a major was a very good step in the right direction. I think that that's something that we're going to continue to try to explore as we go forward because it's important to make sure that it's not the same styles, the same things over and over and over again, and that it really showcases diversity for if you can make multiple shows over multiple majors on multiple patterns. So that's definitely something um, that I would like to take away from these last three weeks is that it was a good uh, departure from our norm, which is 39 or 40 feet everywhere on every major. Yeah, are the players still okay with the animal patterns, or do we need to maybe even kind of retool some of those? I mean, aside from changing, I mean, I'm assuming that they get changed a little bit each each year. They do a little bit of tweaking, but... Is it time to maybe do away with the animal patterns or do something different or maybe not name them? Just here's what you guys go out and bowl on and you, you get to see what they are during the practice session? Well, I mean, we we all know that the animal pattern doesn't tell us anything except the length. The animal pattern does not really tell us anything about volume. It doesn't tell us how they distribute the oil front to back, side to side. All it tells us is the length of the pattern. Um, so we kind of have a very vague idea of how we're going to attack the pattern based on that, but, um, but really that's, that's what a lot of people that aren't on tour don't quite understand, or maybe they're just bowl regionals, and they always bowl on the same viper every time. And the topography of the lane will make it play different, but it's always the same viper, and that's just not how it is. Um, we know that when we see a cheetah, it's going to be 36 feet. It's probably going to be... Um, high scoring, but that's all we know. We don't know what kind of equipment we'll need to attack it. We don't know how much volume there'll be in the front. So they do keep retooling and changing them. Uh, so like I said, all that the, the name of the pattern tells us is how long the pattern is and nothing else. Uh, but right now, um, I don't necessarily think that should be the focal point. I think the focal point needs to be what we need to do to grow as a as an organization, and then when we have enough tournaments that um, that we have to start redoing animal patterns multiple times a year, then we can start talking about whether or not we want to start changing things up in that. 
Well, one of the things that just came out recently was the Pete Weber uh, 30 for 30. Um, so first off, my first question is, you know, this has to be a good thing for bowling, but then also your most memorable uh, PDW moment. I know you guys are you're in the PBA league. You guys are on the the uh, the New York City Kingpins together. So talk about uh, a couple of PDW good moments you have. And yeah. and uh, <laughs> you know, um, I've known Pete for a long time. Uh, thankfully, I know a lot of the older guard because of my mother. Um, so like Parker and Walter and Norm and Pete all knew who I was before I came out on tour because they knew my mom and. Uh, so Pete's always been really nice to me because my mom was, you know, knew Dick Weber really well. So Pete's always been really nice to me. And then uh, that, was, uh, that was most of what my early memories of him were because everyone else talked about, you know, oh, he's such a bad, bad guy, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's a jerk, he's this, he's that. And I never saw that side of him. I mean, I saw that side of him sometimes when he would get upset when he's bowling. He's a very fierce competitor on the lanes, and sometimes he just, you know, kind of makes that outward a little bit more than he might need to. But that's him. That's that's PDW. That's just the way it is. And uh, I was so excited when I got to bowl with him uh, on the Kingpins, and definitely my best memory. One of I had two best memories of him, and that was when I was having my good winter swing, and that was actually when I won my major, the PBA Players, the Players Championship, the Earl Anthony. I was having an amazing winter swing, and it's uh, John Zubinski and Jack Jurek and Kelly Kulik and myself and Tommy Jones and Pete Weber are on the first year's Kingpins, and we ended up winning that year. And uh, the first show, Pete puts me anchor on that team. And I'd only been on, I mean, I'd been on a tour for a couple of years, but, you know, on that team, I ended up being the anchor. And so to get that kind of trust out of Pete was definitely uh, a highlight of my career, especially early on. And then later that same year, when we won the Elias Cup, I remember, you know, he was anchoring on the show and on the, on the match that we were winning the Elias Cup and winning that with him kind of harkened back to the, college days when we were all in it together and we all had to bowl the, you know, we all had to lift each other up through the Baker matches and whatever. It was, it was pretty special. Well, and you bring up a great point is piece of the old garden off the lanes. I've never seen a nicer guy in all my working with extra frame and, and yeah, bowl expo and seeing him everywhere. He's always very cordial to people off the lanes, but it's once he's on the lanes, that's his office. <laughs> so yep. he is, he's a different person on the lanes. And if you maybe say something or um, you maybe jump them wrong, you know, the lane uh, courtesy yeah. out there doesn't work so well. I know that's one of his uh, pet peeves. He'd probably even admit to that. But uh, off the lanes, he's a, a gentleman and he always takes time to sign autographs. So it's it's one of those things where you just got to know and you got to know when to approach him too. you know. Yeah, so I mean, that's, the, that's the thing that's unique about our sport, I think, that, that the fans are so close to the pros that I think they sometimes take for granted that, you know, imagine if you could just start screaming things at Serena Williams or Peyton Manning or LeBron James or what I mean, you know, and that they were within feet of you. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're courtside, you could be within feet of LeBron. But just imagine that, you know, that these people are that close to you and you can interact with them, that, you know, that they're, everyone's going to react a little bit differently to that. Some people are going to be a little more personable and other people are going to be all business, and that's more what Pete is. It's all business. It's all, it, it's fierce, uh, 
competitive. It's it's what's made him who he is. Well, and uh, yeah, to your example, imagine after LeBron James misses a game-winning shot, you, a fan, can go up and say, "How did that feel?" You know, instead of the media, exactly. where they have their whole cooling-off period and they have to put on their face and go out and do their interviews with the press after and answer a couple of questions, they don't have fifty people going up to them uh, that are fans and saying, "How did you feel about that?" or "How did you, you know, what did it feel like to miss that shot?" or something. So, great insight, though, Scott, on everything. And and yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's a, and that is one of the things, though, that I think makes our sport so great too. Is you can get that access to people, and you are that close, so you can actually watch them and come out to these events that are on the PBA tour. Yes, I I absolutely agree. Awesome stuff. And it's a blessing and a curse for the bowlers as well, for that exact reason. Because it's it's great to be able to have that kind of interaction with the fans, but at the same time, you're always <laughs> you're always having to watch yourself and your actions uh, because you know you do get really competitive, and so you just want to make sure that you're not alienating fans just because you're in a place that's super competitive and you're having a bad day. Well, great stuff, Scott Norton. Uh, Thanks for joining me on the Storm Collegian Spotlight. All the best of luck with everything as you continue uh, through this spring and uh, and bowling. And just uh, thanks again for catching up with us, and we'll do it again soon. Ah, My pleasure.